Hello out there and welcome back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined by Alan. We got a lot of good stuff to talk about today. We're actually going to skip some football talk for today. I um, feel like we've kind of handled everything that's happened up to this point in the offseason. We'll keep you posted on any tight end coaching search uh, notes on GamecockScoop.com. But uh, a lot of basketball to get into. Um, the men currently tied for first in the SEC. Got a big road matchup at Auburn later tonight. We're going to talk all about uh, that game and uh, the game over the weekend. Uh, women's basketball obviously just came off their last, uh, on paper at least, big test of the season. Uh, pretty handled win against UConn. Um, we'll look a little bit ahead of, of what's left for them to, to finish the season undefeated. And then we're going to do a deep dive on baseball because opening weekend this weekend already. Um, <laughs> what's the weather looking like up there? I, I haven't really. Uh, Friday looks really good. You got exactly what you want for opening day. I think there's a little bit of a chance for rain Saturday and Sunday when I looked yesterday, although it was like 30% or 40% for both days. So hopefully that stays in the lower side. Yeah, this is a this is a good time of year to be in South Carolina for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's let's start with the men. Um, we were just talking right before we got on here. Uh, they won on Saturday to go uh, seven straight. That's the current uh, active streak in the SEC. You said that's the second longest uh, active streak in school history. SEC winning streak. Yeah, they won eleven in a row in the ninety six ninety seven year, which is also their only regular season title in SEC history. And you're at seven now, which is the second longest. Um, they travel to Auburn later today. Actually, South Carolina, after the latest round of AP roll, AP polls, is the higher ranked team. So number 11, South Carolina at number 13, Auburn. Um, what are you kind of expecting out of tonight? Um, I, I know we talked a little bit about it last week. Um, and... I don't know. I mean, you you win this game, you're you're in sole possession of first place of the SEC, and uh, we start to talk very seriously. I think about the possibility of them winning the regular season title. All right, let's. I think mean, I think that's probably the place to start. Like, let's let's get that out of the way. If you win tonight, if you go into a building where Auburn hasn't lost all year, where Auburn's lost twice in the last thirty six months, you can talk regular season title. You can talk like two three seed in the tournament. You can talk about trying to host, not host, but get to like play games in Charlotte. You can talk about whatever you want if you win tonight because no one thinks you're going to. You are a 10 and a half point underdog tonight for a reason. Uh, and Auburn is on their floor, at least one of the toughest outs in the country anywhere, not just in the SEC. So let's get out of the way first. As for what you're going to face, I mean, you're going to face maybe your toughest game of the season tonight. Auburn is 19 and five on the year, eight and three in the SEC. 12-0 and 0 at home, obviously, like I said. Um, can score at all three levels. It just hung 99 points in Alabama in their last home game. 91 at Ole Miss last week. They're, uh, it's going to be a challenge for South Carolina's defense. I think that's. I think this kind of falls in the, like you said before we started recording, the Tennessee-Kentucky kind of realm where you're going to face a high-octane offense, a team that likes to get up and down the floor, and you're going to have to try to do what you do. That... Um, was it last episode or maybe two episodes ago? You kind of made the left lane driving analogy where, like, playing South Carolina is being behind a slow car in the left lane. You're going to have to try to do that again tonight to a team that likes to go fast and wants to run you off the floor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, Auburn is coming off of a loss, a road loss. Mm -hmm. They've Florida. not been, been quite as uh, good on the road this season, which is why they're 
13th instead of number one or whatever. Um, but they, uh, yeah, so I, I think, do you think it's a good thing that they're coming off of a loss or a bad thing? Because I think you probably would have rather them be coming into this a little higher instead of doubly focused uh, after one of their few losses this season. I don't think it helps. I'll just put it that way. I'm not going like, to say that South Carolina can't win with that or that it's impossible or anything like that. But Auburn in this state, not just a loss Saturday at Florida, but Auburn got beat pretty soundly in Gainesville. Um, they never had game control there. They were down, I think it was like 23 to 8 off the tip and never looked back. Um, you're going to get a very focused, motivated Auburn team. And you have their attention. I think that's the other thing, too. I don't know if you saw um, Bruce Pearl yesterday in his media availability saying that Lamont should win SEC Coach of the Year. He was just talking a lot about South Carolina and what they're going, what the challenge they are. Yeah, I do think the difference between this one and that week where you beat Kentucky and Tennessee back to back is no one's underestimating you now. Yep. I think. Uh, not saying that they won those games because they were being underestimated, but uh, maybe there was a little bit of a surprise factor, a little bit of a um, not taking South Carolina seriously. Well, now you got that number eleven beside your name, so uh, everyone's on notice at this point. Um, as far as what we're looking for with Auburn, I think, like you said, uh, they like to get out. They like to run. Uh, they like to score fast. But but something that I think that uh, South Carolina is going to face that they haven't faced a ton yet this year is a really good big man. And yep. uh, Johnny Broom, yep. he could be potentially SEC player of the year. Um, I think you're going to need to see Josh Gray have a good game. I think you're going to need to see Colin Murray Boyles, who's coming off of his best game of the season and continues to just make mind-boggling plays. Uh, you know, keep that up and, and have a good game um, and really kind of limit uh, his opportunities. I think he's going to score. Uh, Broom is going to score. But uh, if you can limit his impact a little bit, then I think that'll go a long way. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Uh, and he's not definitely not the same type of player as, uh, you know, you're thinking about another guy who might win SEC Player of the Year, Dalton Connect, when he went to Knoxville two weeks ago. Uh, Connect's obviously a guard. He's more of the, you know, kind of shoot from anywhere, score from anywhere type. He's not going to bang and crash inside necessarily. But you saw that night, South Carolina kind of said, all right, Connect's going to do what he does. He's going to get his points. You know, we're going to make it difficult for him, but he's going to do what he does. Try to make sure, you know, you're Zakai Ziegler, you're Josiah, um, Josiah, uh, I can't think of the other Tennessee guard's name, but try to make sure the rest of the team doesn't beat you. And I think you kind of got to look at it that way with Auburn tonight, where, okay, Johnny Broom is going to get his points, going to get his rebounds, going to get his blocks too, quite frankly. I believe he's top five in the SEC in all three of those departments right now. But what's really going to hurt you in a game like this is if Johnny Broom is doing that and Trey Donaldson can get out of transition and run. And if, you know, a guy like Katie Johnson can have a good night. Uh, I know Chad Baker Mazar has shot the ball pretty well for them this year. I think he's at almost 40% from three. Uh, kind of like that, Auburn's got a pretty guard heavy team outside of Broom. And they can make you pay from the outside if you're not on it there. Yeah, I think that that's going to be a big storyline. We've seen that the teams that South Carolina has had the most trouble with uh, on defense are just uh, teams with guard guards that can create their own shot. Um, yeah. And Auburn certainly has some of those. Um, they've been a little streaky on which one of them is going to step up throughout the season. Um, so they're scoring is a little bit evenly distributed, but, but make no mistake, their guard play is pretty good. Yeah, and I think that they're also they're leading the SEC in assists per game right now. They're going to move the ball really well. Um, that's kind of where I think the game maybe is, just in terms of Auburn is a very efficient offense. They, like I said, they move the ball well. They are pretty good at taking care of the ball. 
And that's kind of what the South Carolina team thrives on is frustrating you, making you, you know, kind of forcing you into mistakes, you know, making you lose. Again, it's that left lane driving thing, uh, making you lose your composure. And that's kind of where I kind of partly why I think Auburn's been so much better at home than on the road beyond just, you know, the atmosphere and everything is you can, it's a little harder to kind of keep your cool and your composure on the road, but at home with the way Auburn likes to move the ball, I think that this, I don't know if it's fair to say this is the biggest challenge for South Carolina's defense this year, knowing what you face with Kentucky and Tennessee's offenses, but it's up there for sure. And it's a different one than I think than those two games. Yeah. We've seen South Carolina win games a lot of different ways over the course of the season, um, which I think has been really impressive. But over the last three games, it's very much kind of transitioned a little bit, at least to the Colin Murray Boyle show. He's averaged 21 points per game, seven rebounds and 2.3 assists over the last three games. Um, I don't want to say that that's the only path to victory is for him to stay that hot, but it certainly wouldn't hurt. Um, and if he doesn't, you're going to have to have um, one of those guys like Michi Johnson or someone that has, I wouldn't say disappeared, but hasn't played as big of a role lately, um, really step up and, uh, you know, keep pace with some timely three point shooting. Yeah. I think the Michi Johnson points a good one. He, we didn't even talk about it yet, but they play Vanderbilt Saturday since we last recorded. You are actually down at halftime to a very lowly Vanderbilt team, but you come out in the second half, kind of go on a big run right out of the break, explode, end up winning by double digits. Uh, Colin Murray Boyle scored 31 on Saturday. Um, but yeah, I think Michi Johnson, he had 13 assists last week in two games, and he's got 29 assists in his last, four turnovers the last six games. Um, you get another big game from him, both scoring and, you know, again, taking care of the ball. I think you have a chance to win tonight. I I am with you. I still think you need another wild card in there. Like maybe this is the Miles Studi game. Maybe this is the one where he hits four threes and kind of gets it rolling again. Still matter what you saw at Tennessee when he was just coming back from that injury. I think you're going to need some kind of X factor like that to get out of here tonight. Yeah, and and like like we were saying, Colin Murray boys has kind of opened up the offense in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um. So if you can get him involved on the inside, that really gives you a lot more space on the outside for those open looks uh, from three. So um, like you said, uh, Auburn's going to score some points. Uh, This very much is going to be like the Alabama formula, I guess, um, which worked for a half, Um, but you're going to have to score your own points and keep pace. Uh, If you go through those cold stretches, like we've seen, we've seen a cold stretch in each of the last three games, despite them uh, still finding a way to win against an inferior opponent. Uh, if you hit one of those cold stretches tonight, I think you're in a lot of trouble. I, I would agree with that for sure. This is not a team where you can go four minutes without scoring, five minutes you know, without a field goal, anything like that. Um, they can score points on you in a hurry, and that that's just one of the things. I think the Alabama game is the pertinent example. It's really the only time this year they've been blown out, and it was just one of those things where it started snowballing after halftime. Um, and you play bad for five minutes there, it could become bad for 20 minutes in a hurry. And when you do that, you're just dead in an environment like this. Yeah. Um, as we mentioned before, Alabama is on bye tonight. So if you do win, you have sole lead of the conference, at least until the weekend. Um, you still have a lot of tough games left on the schedule, um, but it definitely the the chatter of uh, SEC uh, regular season champion for both the men and the women uh, starts to heat up if you somehow pull one off tonight. Yeah, I'm with you for sure. And I think this is a... I'm not going to say good timing for a loss. I think they can win. And I'm going to say good timing for a tough game. Just when you look a little bit at what's next, you get it. You're at home against LSU on Saturday. It's an LSU team that's struggling right now. Lost a heartbreaker last night at Florida by two. 
and then you get your bye week. So you're going to be at home for 10 days after tonight. You only have to play one game in the next 10 days after tonight. Um, you can kind of, I don't want to say get healthy because they're not hurt right now per se, but you can kind of go into a home game. Again, you'd expect to win Saturday against an unranked team and then rest up for a week and then get ready to hit the final. What would it be? Five games left after LSU on Saturday? Yeah, it's 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 five. You got two on the road, Ole Miss and Texas A&M. Uh, then you got Florida, Tennessee at home. Obviously, that Tennessee one, well, the Florida one looms large too. They're playing pretty well. Uh, and then you travel to Mississippi State to close things out. I mean, if you get through this one, it, that definitely sounds like a manageable yep. schedule. Um, and you've gotten some help with uh, Tennessee losing, Auburn losing last week. Uh, so this would give you a what two game lead on Auburn if you if you beat them. Yep. Um, so you're really set up in a good position between what you and Alabama do down the stretch from here, uh, if you were to pull it off. Yeah, and I'd, like I said, I think if you win tonight, not only are you well within your rights to talk about the SEC title, you can talk about pretty much anything you want tonight. If you want to get on our message board at GameCockScoop.com and post your hotel recommendations for the Final Four if they win tonight, I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm certainly going to have to do a little bit of research if, if that happens. Um I, it's it's an interesting place for them to be. Uh, what it's been like three weeks since that uh, Kentucky Tennessee um, yep. stretch there, and I think the spotlight uh, has changed significantly for South Carolina in that time. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that spotlight against a uh, a team that's at least as good as them, and and really on paper you would still probably say better than them. But um, we talked a couple weeks ago that. Uh, Lamont Paris, if he feels like he's, you know, uh, at least 70% as good as you, he expects to win. So we'll see if that works out for them tonight. Yeah. And we didn't even mention this yet. We talked about like spotlight and things like that. This conversation shifted in about a week and a half, two weeks from why aren't they ranked to all 62 <laughs> poll voters had them in this week. Yeah. I mean, they're knocking on the door of the top 10. If you win tonight, you will be in the top 10. Um, it's, yeah. Um, and like you said, we're going on the second longest uh, SEC win streak in school history. Um, you can start talking about chasing that number one if you win tonight. I mean, it's uh, it's it's been really crazy. I, I don't think that we've taken enough time to even just take a breath and be like, what in the world? Um, I saw someone, I think it was on Reddit or something that was saying that this is the most uh, – like the biggest turnaround in, in South Carolina history, regardless of sport uh, from a season to season. And I think you're getting to that point, you know, let's see how the season ends, but I think uh, that that's within the conversation. Another one that like kind of comes to mind for me right now is uh, Lou Holtz uh, year where he went from Oh, and 11 to oh, the 2000 season. Yeah. 2000 to 2001. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I think you, depending on how you finish that, you you might even blow that out of the water at this point. Yeah, and I, I'm trying to like think like, was it? Did you go like six and six in '09, and then win the SEC East in ten in football? Is that is that right? Okay, yeah, that's a, that that's a good one. Kind of yeah. in there too, like. Yeah. But you're right though; it's in a very thin. You look at the other programs here, and you know, baseball was kind of that slow build up to a national title. You were already pretty established when you won it. Uh, when Dawn won her first national title, you'd already been to a Final Four two years earlier. Like this, yeah. I mean, off the top of my head, at least this is up there with anything. And um, I, I know Bruce Pearl said yesterday Lamont should win SEC Coach of the Year, which he should. National Coach of the Year? Like question mark? 
Yeah, so that actually brings up a pretty interesting conversation that, that you, you and I were talking a little bit beforehand. Um, what Ohio State just fired their coach. Um, there's going to be some programs that take a look at Lamont Paris after this season. Um, I've seen a lot of chatter on the message boards and uh, across the internet on, uh, you know, do you secure Lamont Paris long-term after uh, the season that he's having? Again, we'll have to see how the season ends, but assuming you know, things go pretty well, you make the tournament, maybe you make the sweet 16, whatever. Um, then do you lock him in for this one really good season? You know, throw him the bag, make sure no one uh, comes after him. But then you run the risk of him, Darren horning you. <laughs> like uh, if I'm using it from 10 years ago where he came out and had a great, uh, was that his first season? Um, you lock him in and then, things fall apart or a Will Muschamp where you get nine wins, you lock him in, things fall apart from there. I think uh, Sakthiana fans are a little wary to throw the bag, but I also think you might have to, if you want to hold on to him. Yeah. I think that's kind of where I would put it too. And I will say on the Ohio state thing, that's not like someone's in my ear telling, I want to make it clear. Oh, Ohio state's going after Lamont Paris. I just saw yeah. that. That's a natural connection. Lamont spent 15 years as a big 10 assistant at Wisconsin. He knows the area. He's from the state of Ohio. That, I don't know if Ohio State's going to call him. That feels like a very obvious phone call to make if you are Ohio State. Now they've officially fired their coach. So I, I think that was kind of why the topic comes today. But you're right. Like Louisville's probably going to have an opening. Um, I think UCLA might too, the way it's going out in Westwood. Um, there's going to be some bigger programs, like some programs that objectively you would say have more men's basketball resources in South Carolina who are going to be making some calls, you would think. Yeah, yeah. We're not trying to start any rumors about uh, yeah. <laughs> in, anyone that's interested at this point, but it, it did bring up the conversation. And I've seen it uh, across the message boards of like, what do you do in this scenario? And and to me, uh, maybe some fans don't like it, um, but I think you have to you have to lock it down. You, you take the chance at greatness and, and locking in that greatness. And if it doesn't work out, okay, cool. You're in the same place three years from now. It's not your money. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's kind of the way I would put it, too. <laughs> It's um, money. It's not yours. Booster's I money, mean, whatever. I get it. You're if you're a booster, it's somewhat your money, but <laughs> it's not really. You know, whatever. Um, maybe if you're contributing ten million dollars a year or something, then you can complain. But otherwise, I don't know. <laughs> uh, speaking of greatness, I think we've hit the men's basketball point pretty well. Uh, the women took UConn behind the woodshed Sunday. Should we talk about that? Yeah. Um, so we had this hyped game. Uh, we kind of talked a bit beforehand about uh, whether or not Camilo Cardo Cardoso not being there would make an impact, um, who would step up. And then at, at halftime, you have a 14-point lead. You never really look back. You come out of the third quarter, uh, have your uh, most explosive quarter of the entire game. Um, yeah, I mean, you were there. What What's your takeaway? Um, and can this team be stopped is there anyone on the schedule that South Carolina needs to worry about down the stretch I think the first takeaway here uh uh I'll give uh you know we're talking about a media room just not just necessarily my thought but there was such a long time for this program where the one hurdle was not beating UConn um I think I think it's eight in a row Don lost to them to start her tenure here uh, a couple times in the postseason that's five out of six now over UConn for this program uh you beat them in a national title game you beat them on a neutral court You've beat him in Columbia. You beat him in Connecticut. You are at the point where beating UConn is expected and normal now as a program, which is insane for anybody to say if you, if you follow women's basketball and know what UConn was five, 10 years ago. 
But you're at the point where you should beat them, and you do. So I think that's that kind would, of the first thing to acknowledge. The um, script has, uh, has flipped completely there. I mean, you're getting all of those top recruits every single year. Uh, you're the one that's picked uh, unanimous number one every preseason. Um, you've basically taken that mantle from them. Actually, my just a, a quick aside, but like my wife was uh, really into bas- basketball as a high schooler. She was pretty good. She got an injury. She didn't get to make it, whatever. But um, I was talking to her about uh, the South Carolina program, and she was kind of shocked um, as someone that's been a little bit unplugged. And last time she was plugged in, UConn was uh, the queens of the uh, the basketball world to just kind of see how how different it is. And yeah, I mean, there's there's really no other way to put it other than South Carolina has reached that level. Um, maybe you wish you had a couple of more uh, national championships, namely last year um, in that stretch. But I mean, is there anything else to call this at this point other than a dynasty near that level? You haven't had the longevity that that UConn uh, run had yet, but uh, you're certainly peaking. Yeah, I think that's probably a good way to put it. You talk about, you know, missed opportunities last year for sure. You were number one in the country when COVID hit in 20. You might have won one that year too. Um, You probably do feel like you should have more than two, but if you're just talking about right now and this year and what's in front of you, you lost your greatest recruiting class ever. You flipped half of an entire roster. You were ranked number six preseason. You weren't supposed to be a top five team this year. And you are now 23-0, and 0, number one in the country unanimously. And I think just getting on to Sunday and like what actually happened from a basketball perspective a little bit, um, you ran UConn off the floor, which was what this team kind of – the one thing they couldn't do last year, the up and down, the track meet thing. I mean, there was a point in the first quarter where Dawn had Raven Johnson, Malaysia Fulwiley, and Tessa Johnson, as in your three-point guards, all on the floor together, just in a three-point guard lineup to just run, get in transition, get after it. Um, and UConn couldn't keep up, and no one's really been able to keep up this year. And I think that's kind of the difference is kind of the shooting we talked about. Uh, i got to mention Tina, Tahina Pow Pow hit 5-3 Sunday, scored a season-high 21. UConn had no answers. This seems just different. The speed, the shooting, the ability to get in a track meet, i that wasn't there last year. And I think if you start looking ahead, certainly the regular season now with six games left, you would not pick them to lose to any of those six teams left on the schedule. And postseason-wise, you know, it's a tournament. You get in a, a matchup and weird things can happen. But I think even if you did run into, say, Iowa again, you've got shooting answers now for a track meet. You can play a game in the 80s or 90s that you couldn't last year. Yeah, normally if this was like the team from last year, I would say it would almost be good to have a loss somewhere down the stretch or somewhere before uh, March. But I do think because this roster is so different and hungry, um, I don't know that you have to worry so much about them losing focus down the stretch because a lot of them haven't been there and and haven't won on that major stage uh, the way that 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 last group uh, had. Not to say that the reason that they lost is uh, they got complacent. I mean, they ran into a, a buzzsaw. Caitlin Clark um, is really what happened. But um, yeah, no. And and just speaking one more note about program building. Um, you have a young team that's ahead of schedule and you had the number one recruit in the yep. 2024, 2024, 2025. Uh, 2024 class. class. Yeah. Sarah yeah. Strong was on campus. I was on say, Sunday. sitting in the stands watching you uh, boat race. Um, UConn 
on your home floor in front of a huge crowd. Um, I imagine that made an impression. And yeah, I mean, you, I don't what I don't know what can de derail this at this point. Um, but the question is, are they ready to go get it this year? Because um, there's no there's no doubt that they're young and talented and set up very well for the foreseeable foreseeable future. But um, yeah, after this little five game stretch, the the real questions begin. Yeah, it's funny. Just on the the Sarah Strong point, Dawn actually walked into the presser on Sunday and said. Thought we were going to get a welcome home today, but not yet. And just kind of started shaking her head. Obviously, she can't say Sarah's name. It's definitely yeah. rules, but she did say that. Um, so we'll keep you posted on that on Gamecock Scoop. I think she's supposed to actually announce in April if she set a date, I believe. But um, I think that's kind of the thing. And something else Dawn said, which maybe I hadn't thought about, but makes sense when you think about it with this team, is she said last year's team played with so much pressure. It's all these seniors, these legacy players trying to end their career the right way. They knew this was it for them. This was their last chance at it. I mean, they're in the WNBA. They're still playing basketball, but this was their last chance at it together. And she said this, I'm trying to pull up the quote now, but she basically said this team just doesn't play with pressure. They just kind of, she didn't say this, but they're too young to know any better almost. Like they just kind of go out and do what they do. And maybe the coaches absorb the pressure. Maybe the, the pressure of the staff does, but just in terms of players and who is on the court right now, they uh they don't feel it the same way as maybe last year's team did, which I thought was very interesting to say. Uh or to hear her say, excuse me. The quote is this team does not play with a lot of pressure, they just play free. Yeah, no, and I think we've seen that all season, and we kind of wondered when they would start to feel the moment. Um, if last weekend's any occasion, not yet. <laughs> you know, may maybe when they have to travel around um for some big time games in the tournament, we see a little bit of a different story. Um, I'm certainly not, you know, saying that there's there's no way that they can lose. Obviously, they've had some close ball games so far this year, but seems like uh, as long as they take care of business against Tennessee, who's currently third in the SEC, yeah, um, going to play them tomorrow night. Yeah, play them tomorrow in Knoxville, and then they host them in South Carolina to end the regular season. Um, I don't, I don't really see anyone uh, keeping them from at least going undefeated in the regular season at this point. Yeah, I think that's kind of the one question, like you said, with you know the pressure and the freeze. It's kind of the Mike Tyson, everyone's got to play into like a hit-in-the-mouth thing. You know, it's one thing to be down 10 in the first quarter at North Carolina or at LSU in the regular season. It's, it's another thing to be down 10 in the Final Four if they get down 10 in the Elite Eight and whatever, when you are going home if you lose. Um, that, I'm not even saying this team can't handle that. It's just you don't know because they haven't done it yet. And that's just a very different it's kind of impossible to simulate that single elimination tournament vibe, right? Um, and you'll get the first two tournament games at home, which will help. Um, you're going to host, but once you get out into a regional or into certainly into a final four, it's just one of those things you don't know until you get there. Yeah. And I'm sure there are uh, members of the squad that would love another check. Uh, yeah. Another, another crack shot at Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I do think this team is much more constructed to compete with, that team uh than maybe last year's was although uh, obviously i mean they had every chance to win it last year as well if caitlin clark doesn't score a million points but um now if she does i think you have some weapons to keep pace yeah i i think that's kind of the thing too and i don't even it doesn't even count to say it because it could happen to literally any team the only other thing would be injury just because your roster is smaller than most teams you have right now 10 scholarship players available if one or two got hurt, it's just hard to win with a rotation of like eight. 
Um, I'm not saying that's going to happen. You could sure. copy and paste any team in sports if they get injuries, they're going to have problems. But I guess it's worth mentioning because you're a little bit smaller than some of your opponents, just in terms of numbers, that you're a little more susceptible to that. Uh, speaking of missing players, what's our timeline on uh, Cardoso getting back? She's not going to be back for tomorrow. She, right? Well, she's back in the country. Dawn said she wasn't sure about you know the jet lag and the recovery and stuff. Um, so we'll see if she plays tomorrow, but I'd say Sunday at the latest. Okay. Um, let's take some time here at the end to talk baseball. Uh, opening weekend is this coming weekend. Um, South Carolina is playing Miami, Ohio uh, at home, obviously. Uh, a series that you'd expect to win. Um, what are, what do you think? We're going to see twenty points on opening night, like or twenty runs on opening night, like we did last year. Yeah, honestly, I think you might. Uh, <laughs> I haven't looked that far into Miami, Ohio yet, but you're facing a. You, you kind of did what you did last year, and what I don't really blame you for doing with your non-con schedule, which you already have the Clemson series, you already have ten SEC series. Your other three non-cons are pretty weak. Um, Miami, Ohio was. 21 and 35 last year, 13 and 17 in the Mac. Um, you should kill them, I think, especially with your <laughs> offense. Um, yeah. So give us on GamecockScoop.com. You've started to do uh, baseball season previews. We have part one uh, posted yesterday on GamecockScoop.com. If you want to go check that out for our premium subscribers, if you're not yet a premium subscriber, now's a great time. Um, so I interject with something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Goodman, um, obviously the you know the national college basketball analyst, just said per source the two names on Ohio State's list right now are Sean Miller and Lamont Paris. So now someone's actually reporting that. There you go. Um, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna get a little spicy. We'll try to pick out uh, any info that we can um, for you on GameCopScoop.com and 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 pass that along. Um, if anything on that comes up between now and the next podcast. Obviously, a lot of the official movement won't start until uh, the season's end. For is Sean Miller still Xavier? Yes. For yeah, Xavier and uh, South Carolina. That's also really funny because those are the two. Uh, no, that were that for were, this search, yeah, twenty twenty two. Yeah, so that that'll be interesting. Um, you know, again, I'll just say if you're a South Carolina fan that's wary about throwing the bag at someone after one good year. That's kind of how this sport goes. Yeah. Uh, you you got to take your chance at greatness. Maybe you found the next guy. Um, anyway. Back to baseball. I just wanted to yeah. inject that. Just came yeah, out yeah. of the Twitter timeline. Um, or the X as far timeline, as, whatever. As far as uh, just like season long um, expectations for baseball go, I think this is a really crucial year for Mark Kingston. I just want to read you uh, uh, his last eight seasons or one, two, three, four. Um, last shoo, nine seasons going back to 2015 at South Florida um, and just like let you know his win percentage of each of those. All right. So 2015, 566, 2016, 421, 2017, 689, 2018. He goes to South Carolina, 587 his first year, makes it to a super regional, kind of exceeds expectations. I think that year, 2019, one of the worst baseball seasons in South Carolina history, definitely in, in recent memory, uh, 500 record goes eight and 22 in the conference. Um, the 2020 year for COVID got canceled. Kind of hard to read much off of that year, except for that you started pretty strong. 2021, 596. So not bad. Hosted a regional, uh, didn't, you know, finish the job there. 
2022, 491, went 27 to 28, another terrible season uh, by South Carolina standards. A little bit better in the SEC than 2019, but not much. And then last year, of course, you exceeded expectations in a major way. Uh, 667 win percentage, Gainesville Super Regional. Those of you that were keeping up <laughs> with that, uh, literally every other season since 2015 has gone from a winning record and a, a, a postseason or uh, my God, what is the word I'm looking for? A postseason uh, appearance. Appearance, geez, yeah, postseason appearance uh, to a below 500 or near 500 record and sitting at home. Uh, if that trend continues, uh, South Carolina is going to be sitting at home in 2024. Um, what do you, I mean, just looking at the roster, uh, thinking about the schedule a little bit, what do you think the chances of that happening are? Here's how I would set this up for this year. Um, and again, I would encourage you, I've got about half of a baseball season preview up if you're a subscriber now, and the other half with some kind of overall big picture thoughts and a lineup projection coming tomorrow. Um, I can understand the worry if you're a South Carolina fan. The pitching depth is nowhere near what it was last year. You lost five pitchers to the draft last year. Um, you did supplement a little bit in the portal, but you're not replacing all those guys. You're just not. Um, so I can understand the depth worries. The you know If there's some injuries, things might crater. If you're Mark Kingston and you're trying to prove you have consistency, prove that you can build a program, prove that you can stack things from year to year, at least from an offensive perspective, you're never going to get a better team than this. And that's kind of what my point that like, if not now, when you've got two all Americans and Ethan Petrie and Cole Messina, both back combined at 59 homers last year, Gavin Cassis is back hit 20 homers last year. Um, you portal very well on offense. In my opinion, Kennedy Jones, Blake Jackson, both look really good in the scrimmages. Um, you've got your third baseman back. You've got your shortstop back, or not your starting shortstop, because Bradley Wilmer's gone, but one of your shortstops back. You, yeah, if you can't get something done with this lineup, with this offense, with the fact that you're going to go into pretty much every game, every series, feeling like you at least have the better hitting than anybody you face, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely going to have to outscore some teams this year, yeah. it seems like, but it seems like you have the ability to do so. Um, but yeah, stop me if you've heard this before. You feel pretty good about your starting pitching. Um, Eli Jones, Matthew Becker, and then you were saying probably Dylan Askew until Roman Kimball. Kimball is uh, fully recovered. Um, but you feel pretty good about that list of four guys uh, mm -hmm. to win more games than not. But you're very thin after that, or at least you have – there's a lot of relative unknowns uh, after that. And that's kind of been the case, I feel like, every – preview that we've done i mean we've only done it for two years but even if we stretched it back and i'm just like thinking back that's kind of been the case of every uh off season of the mark kingston era um is there any sign of hope because so far we've seen uh pretty much every year there's been some sort of devastating pitching injury or seven um and <laughs> that that kind of uh derails the upside uh, of what you can accomplish granted you still made it to a super regional last year um but i think you would have felt a lot better uh had you not um had those guys injured so um who should we be looking for in the bullpen transfers newcomers that can maybe pick up the slack should hopefully not but history would suggest uh, an injury occur so i will say 
he's not technically new, but I think the Kimball point's worth expanding on because most people here don't know about him. Uh, pitched Notre Dame in 2022, was on that team that went to Omaha. Uh, really good stuff. Um, Kingston had a good comment about him and kind of the way he pitches compared to some big leaguers a couple of weeks ago. Gets hurt in a scrimmage last fall, so October 2022. Tommy John surgery, missed all of last year, working back now. He's got an MLB draft buzz. Uh, kid's talented. He was There was a thought that he was going to be in the weekend rotation last year, even with all those other pitchers, which tells you something. I think if he's healthy, he's going to be very, very good in exactly what this team needs. But I also think they're going to take it very slowly with him, start with some midweeks, try to build that up. You need him pitching in June, not in February. So I think that's one for sure. Um, Garrett Ganey is one I've heard some buzz about. I've seen him pitching in some scrimmages. Ethan Petrie had a couple of good comments about him at Media Day. He's the lefty from Liberty in their bullpen. Transferred with Matt Williams, who's a new pitching coach who also came from Liberty. I think that's a name to keep an eye on. Um, I think you're going to need a jump from Austin Williamson. He is one of your kind of relievers, midweek guys last year. Uh, he's back now. He's a sophomore. He's added some velocity, it seems like. Um, and then I think some of these freshmen, too, which you don't really know what you're going to get there, but uh, Kingston's talked a little bit about Eddie Copper, who's a true freshman, who I saw pitch pretty well in one of the scrimmages last week. Got some notes down on the website. Um, Tyler Pitzer is another name maybe you should know that Kingston's talked about. Um, I just think there's going to be a lot of trial and error right now, kind of early in the year, these first couple series, at least before the Clemson series week three. Uh, but there's a few names I would say you probably should know about now. Yeah, I'll add one more name to that list, and it's it's someone that you mentioned in your article, but uh, College of Charleston's Ty Oh, Ty Gill, yeah. Good call. Um, I mean, he won the CAA Pitcher of the Year last year, um, his third in College of Charleston history, which is a pretty good program, uh, in strikeouts with 274. Um, but we'll, we'll have to see how he comes along because it, it sounded like he didn't have the best fall uh, this past offseason but you know still uh, someone that obviously has a lot of talent if he can dial it in yeah it's the the walks are going to be the question for him i think kingston's even talked about that it's, he's got all the strikeout stuff but doesn't always know where it's going um i think that's a very natural candidate at least early in the year again midweeks just kind of getting you through those building him up from that level and then maybe he's a guy you can factor into your sec bullpen or starting games if you have those injuries like you talked about uh, once you get into march april may and yeah, just a quick reminder for those of you that have been listening to the podcast for a while or, or reading what we've been uh, writing for a while. Uh, Eli Jerzenbeck, who we were really stoked about last year, yeah. everyone was um, started off the season pretty well, uh, but tore his UCL last May. And as we mentioned, when it happened, it wasn't just a miss the rest of that season, but also probably miss all of this season. If at the very least, it would be the very, very end of the season, maybe postseason play, but we're not expecting to see him this year. Um, but I mean, that is a name to keep in mind next yeah. season uh, and going forward from there because he obviously is very talented and was flashing big time as a freshman. But that's why we didn't mention his name. He's not expected to play. Yeah. Uh, so I think kind of big picture, your offense really, if everybody says healthy does what they should do, should be top five in the country. Um, your pitching is good at the top. You're going to have to answer some questions at the bottom. You feel good about this, I think, in general. And I think that kind of leads you to the question of like, all right, if we're sitting here recording a podcast in June after baseball season's over, what do you need to see to feel like this is still on the right track? To feel like, I don't know, if you're Ray Tanner and you extended Mark Kingston's contract 
to get it past two years, but didn't raise the buyout because you're still not sold on him, which is what happened. What do you kind of need to see to feel sold on him? I guess is what I would ask you. You're not right, Tanner, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the way that we started off this discussion, right? He has been incredibly inconsistent uh, over the course of the back half of his career. He actually strung together quite a few good seasons at Illinois State, uh, where he started his head coaching career. But um, over the last nine years, it's been every other year is good, every other year is not so good. So you're going to have to string together two good seasons in a row. Yep. Um, and you, you can't use excuses anymore. I mean, maybe you lose two starting pitchers like you have the last two years. Well, uh, at some point that's going to land on you for better or worse. I'm not saying it's fair or, yeah. or whatever, but uh, it's a result oriented league. It's a result or oriented program. This is one of the best baseball programs in the country. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the expectation at a minimum is you're hosting a regional. Yeah you probably need to make it to a super again, at least. I kind of think that too. And I think the pitching injury point is fair and it's part of baseball. It's going to happen. And I think my counter to that is, I don't want to say never, it's not really fair, but you're probably never going to have an offense better equipped to pick up a pitching staff than the one you have this year with Petri back, Messina back, Cassis back, Lee Croy back, your transfers, tip it back. I mean, the list goes on and on, but I I said it and I believe it. You will have a top five offense in college baseball in terms of homers, RBIs, runs, all that stuff, or at least you should. Yeah. Well, and recruiting is part of this deal too, right? Um, if those injuries do occur like they have the last few seasons, you better recruited some good freshmen. Yeah. You better have uh, better be able to depend on those guys you got in the portal um, because this was an important off season for you to to keep your job and, and keep going going forward. Um, and yeah, I'm definitely, I don't think either one of us are ever like a, uh, rabble rouser, rabble rouser for, uh, firing anyone or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I, it's been outside of last year, which was a great season. Uh, it's been pretty exceedingly mediocre. Um, yeah. and I think you bought yourself a little bit more rope, but not very much. <laughs> Look, I mean, this is, it's like you said, you're right. I mean, you're, you have a longer connection to this place than I do coming in last year, but this is still South Carolina. You still walk in the building and see banners, plural for national titles. Your athletic director was there for it. They're all on the wall. Like there is still a standard here and no, you're not going to go to Omaha every year. You're not going to win a national title every year, but you got to be able to stack seasons at a place like South Carolina. And you put, you put a good one up last year. No, nothing to say about that, but, you have a roster in place to put another one up, I think. And if you don't, there can and probably should be consequences for that. Yeah. I mean, to put it simply, you've been around long enough that we both know that there was a list starting to come together of who they might look yeah. for before last season happened. Um, I imagine that list is not too far away from uh, the corner of his desk, uh, Ray Tanner's desk or whatever, if uh, things go sideways. But um, we're going to focus on the positive right now because yep. I do think that this is a very – uh, potentially exciting baseball season um, that gets kicked off this Friday. And we'll have mm -hmm. full coverage of that on GameCockScoop.com. We'll have full coverage of the basketball game tonight, uh, the women's game tomorrow, every game, all the time, always um, on GameCockScoop.com. So definitely go check us out over there. We'll be back here next week for the GameCockScoop.com podcast. Until then, we'll see you later.